Welcome. Uh, my name is Riley. I'm the church planning resident here. We are continuing our series in Exodus, and we're going to get right into it because uh, I'm testing your faith out this morning. I'm preaching on two chapters, uh, and we are going to read it all, uh, though not all in one go and not all up front. So we're going to have to move quick, and I'm going to have to be uncharacteristically concise. Okay, so last week, Brendan's sermon was called That You May Know. Well, this is part two, and really, next week is part three, because uh, this whole series um, in Exodus chapter 7 through Exodus chapter 11 is really one unit. What's your Facebook display picture? Um, if you've got Facebook, of course. Uh, and how did you choose what picture you wanted to have? Uh, your display picture, whether you like it or not, you had to make a decision about how you wanted to represent yourself to the world, or at least to your friends, however many you have. And your display picture, you, you know, you have to choose a photo and who you want in the photo. Sometimes you're like, oh, I like that photo, but I'm going to crop out those people, just me. So you, you choose who you want in it. Maybe you've, you know, a significant person, a child or a wife or something like that to, to represent who you are. You, you crop it, you put an effect, you make it look good because you want people to see the image of you that you want to represent. And you might have a different picture for Facebook because that's like social networking. Instagram, you might have the arty, cool side of you. Etsy might be different. Pinterest, another. LinkedIn, it's the business suave side. You want to, I'm serious, yet relax. Or whatever you want to represent, you choose something to represent yourself. Uh, we're actually got our car packed and we're driving down the coast for a holiday after church, which I'm excited about. But uh, we had to hire an Airbnb and I couldn't make my purchase or my reservation until I'd put in a display picture on the app. Uh, because it said, it said on the app, it said, you must do this so that the host will know who you are. I guess it's so like if I put your, myself as like a goth or some gangster or something, they might be like, oh, maybe not. But I represented myself by choosing a photo of Maddie and my kids to say, we're a happy family. We're not going to ruin your house, but we do have small kids. That kind of was the thing I was trying to represent. So that, that's how display pictures work. They represent what you want others to know about you. What if you had to make a Facebook page for God? Obviously, you're not going to. He's not going to ask you to do that. And he said, put a display picture up. How would you try and represent God to other people? How do you think God would make his Facebook display picture? I'm not trying to be trite and silly. Uh, the point is this, is that the Bible is almost like God's Facebook display picture. It's a representation of who God is and how he wants us to know him. The problem that we've been seeing in the Exodus story is that the Israelites, God's chosen people, are in slavery. And Moses has been raised up to go to Pharaoh and say, these people, your slaves, they're actually God's people. You must set them free. The problem is this, Exodus chapter 5, verse 2. After Moses said that to Pharaoh, verse 2 says this, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. God revealed himself as the Lord, the I am, the great one, to Moses and 
to the Israelite elders. And Moses brought that revelation to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, in ignorance and arrogance, said, I don't know him. I'm not obeying him. Your people cannot go. And then we come to this series which we often call the plagues. And the whole point of the plagues, Brendan spoke about it last week, is that Moses, through these signs and wonders, will show Pharaoh who is the Lord. That's why the title of the message is that you may know. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get stuck in and try and do it as best we can. And we're going to be confronted, actually, with a display picture of God that we may not be comfortable with. Why don't you pray with me? Oh, Lord, we, uh, just as your children, as your sheep are aware, we need you to speak to us this morning. Would you reveal who you really are to us? We're weak. We often forget. Uh, Lord, we are blinded by our circumstance and our sin. So, Holy Spirit, would you enliven our hearts, enlighten our minds? Would you help us to know who is the Lord, that we may follow him? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've got three points today, uh, and one of the points is basically just reading the text. Um, But the first point, if you're taking notes, is this, the point of the plagues. So point one is the point of the plagues. And basically what I want to do is give us an overview just so we can kind of zoom out a little bit. Um, You know when you open up Google Maps on your phone and you're trying to show somewhere where something is and it's so zoomed in you can't tell any context That's what the plagues can be. We know the story. We get zoomed in on one particular plague that interests us. But what we're going to do right now is just pinch and zoom out so we can get a sense of the whole, so we can see the whole picture. We know the story, but we actually need to know what the point of the story is. So firstly, I'm just going to give five really brief points. So if you want to catch them, write them down. They're going to be quick. Number one, the plagues actually should be called signs. So I'm going to call them the plagues today because that's what we call them. But in chapter 7, verse 3, um, Moses, uh, God tells Moses that he's going to do signs and wonders in Egypt. Uh, and calling the plague signs is actually better um, because the whole point of them is that they communicate knowledge about who God is. They are plagues because they suck, but they are signs because they reveal something. They show Egypt and Pharaoh and Israel who the Lord is. So that's number one, signs and wonders. That's what the plagues actually are. Number two, uh, they increase in intensity and severity. So they begin with the blood in the Nile and they end with the death of the firstborn. They get worse and worse and worse and worse. Thirdly, uh, I actually ran out of time, so I didn't make a picture, but I was going to make you a picture uh, because it can help to understand how it works. So I'll use my hands a little bit. The plagues, I don't have, okay. The plagues are one, nine, one. That's how the structure goes. So we often talk about the 10 plagues. Well, actually, actually there's 11 and, and maybe 12, but the way it works, last week, Brendan's one was sign number one. That was the serpent with the staff. Okay, it's a sign showing to Pharaoh who really God is. Then there's nine plagues. And they actually work in a cycle of three. So I should have made a picture. It would have been really good. But you got three, three, three. 
And then there's one final plague which sort of stands on its own, the death of the firstborn. And it can help just to get the overview because the way Moses writes this all down, he doesn't just do total repetition. Um, Because it's a story and he's a narrator, he omits certain details to highlight things of importance and prominence, even though probably the same thing happens 10 times in a row. So as we go through the story, you'll see sometimes, you know, plagues one, four, and seven, Moses will meet Pharaoh out by the Nile. And then in the other ones, he meets him in the court. And the other ones, he doesn't even meet with him. But what what uh, Moses is doing is trying to omit detail to highlight what's most important. So it just helps you as you read it go, why is that not? It's because some things are left out to show what is most important. But they basically all follow the same structure. Number four, some people uh, try to claim that the plagues were just a, a natural phenomenon. So uh, the, the, the Nile floods increases with this um, particular property in the chemical which causes all the fish to die, which leads to the disease of the animals, which leads to this and this and this. Um, it, it doesn't work, that theory, because so much of it is spontaneously brought about by Moses' word and command. The magicians copy it, and it can't work with the signs and seasons and times. So if you ever have heard anyone say it's supernatural, uh, it's a natural phenomenon, it's not. If you want to speak to me more about it, I can explain to you in more detail later. Finally, okay, the point of the plagues. I've already alluded to it, um, but if you remember, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? Who is this Lord? Well, the whole point of the plagues is what Brandon talked about last week in chapter 7, verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. The point of the plagues is that Egypt will know who the real God is. The point of the plagues is it's a display of who God is. Not all of God. Not his entire character, but part of who he really is. But it's not just for Egypt. If we go back a little bit into Dave's message in chapter 6, after Moses had been to Pharaoh, and he said, let my people go. Pharaoh goes, no. Uh, And he makes everything worse. He takes away the straw. They have to make bricks, and everything gets really bad. Moses complains. The the Israelites complain. They've lost faith. And God comes and confirms what will happen. And this is what he says in chapter 6, verse 7. I will take you, this is God, I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So the plagues are designed for Egypt and Pharaoh to know who the Lord is. They're also designed that the Israelites will know that they have the Lord as their God, that they are to know who he really is, that they're going to see something about God's character they haven't yet really seen in their lives. And then the reverberations of this knowledge of God are going to ripple out throughout the nations into Canaan and to the ends of the earth. And ultimately, the ripple comes all the way through to here in Sydney in 2018. We are knowing who the Lord is through the plagues. So, the point of the plagues is to display the reality of who the Lord is. 
the plagues, you could say, are not so much about deliverance, but communication. God is communicating to us. So that's point one, the point of the plagues. Point two, the picture of the plagues. What we're going to do is we're going to read through six of the plagues, uh, and we're going to take time just to take in the narrative. If God wanted to, he could have told Moses to write it down in bullet point format. Blood, frogs, gnats, flies, duh, 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 duh. That's all it is, and then they get out. But we don't go from let my people go to them going. There's four chapters in between. There's actually seven chapters in between where Moses is revealing who the Lord is. And the only way we can get the picture is if we sit there and listen to it. So what we're going to do is we're going to have the picture of the plagues. And as we do it, I'm going to read scripture. It's going to take a while. I'm going to explain a little bit as we go. But I want you to almost just relax. You don't need to take notes in this time. Just, just envision, experience what is happening. Feel what is happening. God didn't just give 10 verbal communications to Pharaoh. He gave visceral and visual signs of who he was. The plagues were felt. The plagues were experienced by real people. So as we read it, to understand so that we can know who the Lord is, we need to actually hear it and see it and try and experience it. So that's what we're going to do. And like I said before, the picture that we see may not have been our original display picture that we would have chosen for God. It may be hard for you to hear these words, but this is the word of the Lord. Let's turn now to Exodus chapter 7, verse 14 through 25, the first plague. Exodus is the second book of the Bible, if you're looking for it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. As he's going out to the water, Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far, you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow, will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals and their ponds and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, 
even in the vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died. And the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Could you imagine this scene? Literal, physical blood flowing through a nation. All the water turning to blood. We're such a sterilized culture. We don't experience much blood. We don't have to slaughter our own animals. But imagine the blood. The look of it, the stench of it, as all the animals die. But it's not just a disgusting sign. It's not just a cool trick. It's a judgment on the sins of the people. And it's a judgment on the gods of Egypt. You see, the Nile was the source of three of their gods. It was the source of their very life in Egypt. Their whole prosperity depended upon the Nile. And God, with the stretching out of a staff through one weak man, changes it in an instant. One commentator says this, The nation's great waterway and source of life was turned odious and made into a source of death. God is displaying in this immediate sign, I am the Lord, not your God and not your leader. Now, you may be wondering, this, this, what, what are the, the magicians? How do they turn this into water? Where did they get the water from? Uh, look, we don't have all the answers to how all this works. It's not explained. But the reality is, somehow, by some evil power, they were able to do it. But all they were able to do was imitate a curse. All they could do was turn good water, wherever they found it, back into blood. Again, showing that they can't bring life. Only God can. Second plague, frogs. Exodus chapter 8, verse 1 to 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs. 
Just like the Israelites swarmed with people in, ex- in chapter 1, verse 7, the, the nation will now swarm with frogs. They shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up upon you and your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up out of the land of Egypt, which again only made things worse. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I'm to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs may be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he, which is Pharaoh, said, Tomorrow. I don't know why he didn't say today, but tomorrow. Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs. As he had agreed with Pharaoh, see the merciful, compassionate nature of Moses there. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered to get them together in heaps, and the land stank. Again, that's a reference. The Israelites said that they'd become a stink in the sight of Pharaoh. Now the stink is on them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Again, it's a horrific, like, I mean, whenever I see a bug, we got a few little moths flying around our kitchen at the moment. I hate moths. They're flying death things. I mean, they have no power at all, but they just disgust me. Yet, imagine a whole nation full of jumping, cricketing, croaking frogs, and then they all die and fester, and you've got to pick them all up and take them out, and they're everywhere. But it's not just, again, it's not just a disgusting sign. The frog was actually always depicted as this god, Hequet, who was the god of fertility. And so when God curses them with frogs, he takes down their fertility god. Now remember, the Israelites were so fertile that the Pharaoh wanted to kill them off. And so he was commanding, get all the babies, throw them in the Nile. They are too fertile, we're going to kill them. Now God makes this Nile the place where the frogs, the god of fertility comes and plagues them. But notice as well, Pharaoh's fake repentance or, you know, worldly sorrow. He sees all the problem. He's like, oh, get the frogs away. I'll do whatever. Get them away. And then he relents and changes his mind. Have you ever done that? 
bad circumstance comes, goes, oh, I better stop sinning or doing something wrong. God, would you help me, help me, help me, help me? He relieves you. He's merciful. He makes life better. And then you go back into your sin. Third sign that you may know the Lord, the gnats. Exodus chapter 8, verse 16 to 19. shorter one then the lord said to moses say to aram stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of egypt and they did so aaron stretched out his hand with all his staff and struck the dust of the earth and there were gnats on man and beast all the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of egypt The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Again, plaguing this country. And even the magicians this time, they're like, Oh, we can't even do this. This is some other power. Whether they knew the Lord or not, they were getting a picture. It was before their eyes, okay, there's a power we cannot deal with. This is the finger of God. Yet Pharaoh will not relent. So that's cycle one. Remember how I said there are nine split into three, three, three. Well, that was the first three. So then look at where we get back to. We're in the morning with the Pharaoh. We're in cycle number two. The fourth sign, plagues. Oh, sorry, flies. 8.20. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning. Remember, that was chapter uh, the first one. And present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Moses called, oh, sorry, then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God. That's good news. It's finally happening. No. Within the land. Remember, the command is, we must go three days journey from here to the mountain of God and there we will serve him and sacrifice him. Pharaoh is trying to change the contract here. It's like you put an offer in, you know, in, in, in Louisville, we're trying to sell our car. We put it on Auto Trader. 
4,500, I think, or maybe 4,000, whatever I put it up for. Instant replies, 1,000 cash today. Like, no, I'm not selling it for $1,000. That's what Pharaoh's doing here today. He's going, okay, you can do it, but just stay here. I don't want you to go. You're my slaves. He's trying to remain in control. That's the human problem. I am in control. I will set the terms. But Moses said, it would not be right to do so. For the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord, our God, as he tells us. See, Moses is becoming an obedient man of the word. At first he was reluctant, but now he's an obedient man. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far. Plead for me. And Moses said, Behold, I'm going out from you. I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. That you may know that I am the Lord. Again, another plague, but a new development, distinction. Egypt, flies. God's people, free, clean. Now, whether or not the... The Israelites had to succumb the other three plagues. It's not entirely clear. But what is clear is that God is a God of distinction. He is an exclusive God. He sets apart people and shows his mercy and grace to them while not showing his mercy and grace to others. God makes distinctions. That's one of the things he's trying to show. Fifth sign. Death of the livestock. Chapter 9, verse 1 to 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, like Remember, we've heard this so many times, but remember, this is a command from Yahweh. The one who spoke and the galaxies came into being is commanding a mere man, Pharaoh, what to do. So this is not just like a line that Moses has to say. This is a command. Just like when Jesus came, he he commanded to people, repent and believe in the good news for the kingdom is coming. That wasn't a suggestion. Repent and believe if you feel like it and it might go well. No, it's a command. If you haven't yet repented for your sins and believed in Jesus Christ, you are disobeying his command like Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you do not let them go, for if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the land, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon you. Sorry, 
upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. And again, but the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day, the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died. But not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent. And behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Absolute economic devastation. Agricultural ruin. Imagine if you turn the news to morning and every single sheep, cattle, whatever else we have in Australia is dead. Like that's our ma- one of our major exports, and it's our source of food. Dead. He even looks for evidence and proof, Pharaoh. Go, send out. Have they all died? Yeah, they've all died. No. And maybe, again, some of you here today, you might have seen evidence of God working in other people's life. You might have read the Bible, seen the signs, heard about Jesus, and still you want more proof. Do you know what more proof often does? Hardens people's hearts. Final sign for today. The sixth, boils. Oh, this one makes me hurt. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln. Now, remember, what did the Israelites, what was their slavery? They had to make bricks. What do you make bricks in? A kiln. So Moses is going to the kiln of their slavery, the, the workhouse of their slavery, getting the soot. And let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. Which is what the priests in that time would do with the the sacrificial ashes. They throw the ash in the air. And let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And notice this, the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all uh, on the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh And he did not listen to them, as the Lord had spoken to Moses. They've all been quite external, the plagues, now deeply personal, breaking out in horrendous boils. I don't know if you've ever had a boil. I'll spare you some of the detail, but I had a heck of a one on my back. My dear wife had to... She's crying because it was disgusting and it spurted. I had to go to, I will tell you the detail. I had to go to the hospital 
And they, were, they had to, like, make an incision and cut it open and then squeeze it. And Maddie, my dear wife, videoed it for me because I had to see it. But, it, like, I joke about it, but it was insanely painful. Imagine all over your body. Oh. And notice the new language here. This is the first time in this set of signs or plagues the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. It's almost as if now the Egyptians have given up. They can't even come into the court anymore. They're in bad whimpering. They can't do the signs. Now they can't even stand. And, and so Pharaoh's left, and he almost, it's like he needs help to disbelieve. God removes his grace, doesn't give him any grace to relent. And Pharaoh hardens. His heart strengthens. His will is resolved. I will not let the people go. Six signs. All designed. And there's more to come. That you shall know that I am the Lord. Six signs that reverberate through the land of Egypt, out into the surrounding lands, reverberate into this room. Six pictures and displays of who the Lord is. So what's the, what's the point of it all? Well, my main point for today is this. These signs are here as a display that you may know and that you may follow the great I am. Pharaoh's big problem. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? God's answer, this is who I am. Now, so point three, that you may know and that you may follow. Imagine, uh, again, social media, but you wake up in the morning tomorrow and you, after your quiet time, you open up Instagram and, or Facebook and you look to the top and it has the story of the day and, oh, there's Yahweh. What's his story of the day? And he says, here's what I want you to know about me today. And you flick across and the first is just blood throughout the streets. Oh, flick again. That you may know who I am infestation, a plague of frogs, that you may know who I am, gnats and people cowering, flies, all the fields, all the farmlands with dead cattle, dead sheep, dead goats, dead horses, dead camels, that you may know who I am, millions of people with boils and horrendous skin diseases. And you flick through and you're like, whoa. Who is this God? Do I want to follow him? Do I want to have him in my feed anymore? There's two things in these plagues that God is trying to show Two things that God is displaying to his people and the people of Egypt. I'm going to go through them one by one. Number one, that you may know that the I am is a God of judgment. Verse 
Who is the Lord? A God who makes demands. Let my people go. He's a God who requires obedience. Because Pharaoh does not obey, another plague comes, another plague comes, another plague comes. Every time he relents, God stops. Every time he doesn't and he cheats, God starts him back up. God is a God who judges the wicked. Egypt were not innocent. They're not victims in this story. They're the perpetrators. They were taking children, murdering them at birth, throwing them in the Nile. God is a God who brings justice to the oppressed. God is a God who makes distinction between peoples. God is a God who destroys false idols. All the gods of Egypt are thrown down and seem to be pitiful. They have no power. Who is the Lord? What is God trying to show us this morning? He is a God of judgment. It's a hard message to hear. It's the message of the plagues, but it's a hard one. How does it sit with you this morning? It's one of those bits of the Bible that you just want to turn over. Jesus, meek and mild, go back there. Whether you're a Christian or you're not yet a follower of Jesus, these are hard words. What will you say tomorrow um, when you go to work or you're at the school drop-off or whatever you end up doing, speak to a family member and say, hey, what did you do on the weekend? You say, oh, I went to church. You're trying to be missional. It's good. And they say, oh, great, great. I really want to know about God. Would you tell me about him? What was the sermon on? Oh, you know, obviously that doesn't happen, but if it did, what would you say? Uh, what, what would your response be? Is this part of your definition of who God is? Or have you redefined him? Well, how did Moses and Israel respond? Let's look to them. See, part of the problem is that we're not the oppressed people. And so we don't see these signs of judgment and rejoice instinctively. But Moses and the Israelites have been 430 years in slavery. Their children and their grandchildren have been killed. Their, their parents and have worked under the harsh oppression of slave labor all their generations that they know of. So when God finally delivers them and they walk through the waters, Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. After they're set free, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. We recoil because it's uncomfortable truth. They sang to the Lord and they say this, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Can we sing that song? 
They worshipped him and adored him and enjoyed him because of this aspect of his nature, that he is a God who judges the wicked. But maybe, maybe you think, okay, maybe that's just the men. You know, men are the problem. Um, they are full of testosterone. They are oppressors of people. They love violence. So it's just Moses singing out because he's a guy that likes war. Um, well, if you go further on, uh, verse 20 in this song, it's Miriam, Moses' sister, and all the women. And they say this. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he's thrown into the sea. Into the sea. They sing because of who God is. Why? They were horribly and brutally oppressed by a wicked nation and an obstinate man who would not obey the Lord. For them, judgment meant God was a good God. For us, it feels very different. But for anyone here today, And I don't say this lightly, but anyone here who has been abused or violated, made to feel unworthy, pathetic, anyone who knows someone whose life has been ravaged by the hands of another, this is good news. There is a God who brings justice. There's a God who sees and will hold every secret act of oppression and will bring it to judgment. There is a God of justice. He is the Lord. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Or you may be thinking, okay, okay, I get it. This is the God of the Old Testament. Angry, cantankerous, moody, a killer of people. But he goes through some character development. He gets a bit better and we get to Jesus in the New Testament. And there he is, cute little Jesus in a manger, meek and mild. John chapter 8, verse 25, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders and he says, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Jesus is making a direct claim here. I am the I am of Exodus. I am one with Yahweh. I come from above. I've come here below. And I declare to you, if you do not follow me, you will die in your sins. Same God. Revelation chapter 9, verse 11. After the marriage supper of the Lamb, woo, party, 
Verse 11, then I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. Like horses. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. This is Jesus coming on a horse. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he's a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he's called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Jesus is the I Am. Jesus is the God of the plagues. There's no character development. It's the same character. And what he wants to reveal, he's a God of judgment, bringing judgment to the wicked. But that's not all he is. For he's a God of mercy. You see, the plagues don't just reveal judgment on the wicked. Point two, the plagues... or that you may know I'm a God of mercy. The plagues reveal His mercy. How? They're signs communicating. He is the Lord. Not Pharaoh. Not your gods. Not your land. Not yourselves. The only hope you have, Egypt. The only hope you have, Canaan. The only hope you have, ends of the earth, is if you put your trust in Him. The plagues are a sign, they're a warning, saying, keep away from your old way of life, for there is death in it. I was, uh, we were buying something for the gingerbread house night, and Maddie was in there buying some ribbon and things like that, and I was sitting in the car park, and I got out to stretch my legs and have a think, and as I was out, there was this just obscure, not obscure, whatever, there was this big thing of metal and really high walls and razor sharp wire at the top and a sign which said warning razor sharp wire if you attempt to climb this you will be hurt and then inside the box there was an electrical transform which said if you touch this you will die if you lose a ball over the fence call this number we'll get it for you you know oh that's very negative you know razor sharp wire electrical transform box that will kill you but it's actually mercy It's actually mercy. The signs, the plagues are mercy saying, if you try and do it on your own, you will die. But there is one who makes a distinction. There is one who makes a safe place. There is one who is a savior and his name is Yahweh. Jesus himself, the I am, is not just a God of judgment. He's a God of mercy. Jesus is the I am in the flesh. And I'm reading John's gospel at the moment. I love John's gospel because multiple times Jesus comes and he says, I am. And a plague doesn't come. He says, I'm the bread of life. That whoever is thirst or hungry and you eat me, you will have life. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The I am is a God of judgment and a God of mercy. And the I am became a plague for us. You see, Jesus, the good shepherd, walks a hill and is crucified on a cross. And on the cross, blood flows out. But it's not the blood of the Nile as a plague, as a cursed Egypt. It's his blood for our sins. Darkness covers the land. It's not a plague on Egypt. It's God's wrath coming on the Son of God. Darkness. His skin is wounded, not with boils on Egypt, but lacerations, whipping and nails on his body for our sin. On a cross, the firstborn son of God dies. It's not a plague on the people. It's a plague on himself. He becomes a plague. He takes our curse. He is crushed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's a hard pill to swallow. The judgment, the plagues, the, 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 the boils, all the pain that would have been inflicted on these people. But God is a God of judgment. But brothers and sisters, That's a warning, and the warning is mercy because he's a God of mercy who became our sin on the cross so that you might walk free. This whole section is here that you may know and that you may follow. If you're a believer, your application is to rejoice that the plague has not and will not and never will come upon you. If you aren't yet following the Lord, This message is a dire warning to you. You must follow him. Escape the plague. Get out of Egypt. Move into the safe space that the Lord creates in his son. Would you pray with me? Lord God, Yahweh, the I am. Help us to stand in awe of you. Help us to trust in who you are, in all of who you are. For in your judgment and in your mercy, you are forever to be praised. You are worthy of our song. You are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of our worship, Lord. Would you help us to worship you, even though these are hard truths? May they produce sweet songs in our life. And Lord, would you have mercy on anyone here today that is obstinately rejecting you? Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice. Lord, would you humble them today and may they taste and see that you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.